Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Clock on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We are live out here at the Spectrum Center for the end of the season media availability. Players are starting to take the vacation and then get back to the grind that is the offseason. Same thing with the head coach, Steve Clifford. I had a chance to talk with him earlier in the day about his reflection on the season, what he can do coming up this offseason, the job security, all that good stuff. Here's that conversation right now. Here with Hornets head coach Steve Clifford for end of season media availability. Coach, really appreciate the time and just wanted to touch a little bit on this weekend, really having the season culminate to an end. What kind of positives can you draw upon James Booknight with a couple 20-point performances, Kai Jones getting out there, Mark Williams ending the season with a double-double? How important was it to end on some positive notes, at least for some of the young guys getting out there and getting that opportunity? Oh, I think it could be a jump start for their summers, uh, and it gives us good, you know, film uh, that we can, you know, show with them, share with them uh, to get into some of the details of the team play. Um, and I think it's also, again, it's just good experience, you know, that yesterday, uh, but even, you know, the whole homestand, you know, where we played the Bulls and then, and then uh, you know, Toronto, two games where they were very meaningful games for the other team. So they played against the starters and, and uh, you know, they had some good moments. Steve Clifford joining us here once again on WFNZ. Talking a little bit more about the center position, it was such a need for quite some time. You guys addressed that with the first round pick. And even if it took a while for Mark to enter the rotation, he was fans are very happy with what he was able to do that second half. How do you envision the three centers you have on the roster right now, Mark Williams, Kai Jones, and Nick Richards, all coexisting on the same roster? Well, you know, that'll play out in the summer. You know, uh, you know, uh, Mark uh, made a uh, made a uh, big difference in our team. You know, our defense actually shot up uh, in the games that he and Nick play. We're a totally different, totally different defensive team than any other time. And uh, they bring more size, more physicality, more rim protection. Um, and then, you know, Nick's defensive rebounding numbers uh, the second half of the year uh, were very good. So, um, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll continue in the summer. I mean, they're all they're all younger players and, uh, you know, there, there's plenty of room for growth there. Yeah. What's your number one responsibility or what are some of the top responsibilities for you this offseason working with some of the younger guys, Mitch Kupchak, possibly when it comes to personnel decisions? What would you view are the bigger things you need to take care of? Well, for the coach, I think it's two parts. I think it's one, the individual plan for each guy, you know, which is more skill work. Um, Also, you know, for some of these guys, you know, it's added strength, uh, you know, for some of them, better conditioning levels. And uh, so working with the performance team on that. Uh, and then it's also those study of, of you know, of the, of the team play. And, um, 
you know, what we can add on offense or defense that can get us over the top, you know, what things maybe we started to do at the end of the year that were helping us uh, so that we have a, you know, a good plan going into into the next uh, training camp. So now as far as personnel decisions go, how much are you involved in that, talking with Mitch Kupchak? How much weight do you feel like it carries when you guys are talking about some of those personnel decisions? Yeah, I mean, first of all, with the draft, I've never, you know, the guys that I worked with never were very involved with the draft. I've never done that. Um, you know, Mitch is obviously very good at this. He's done it. He's an experienced guy. He's done it for a long time. And so, you know, we, we've been talking about the guys that are in the draft. And, uh, you know, they've been out and seen them a lot. But, again, I don't see myself being very involved in that. Trades, uh, free agency, things like that are usually more where the head coach gets, you know, more involved. Now, I ask you this, too, when you're at the podium for end-of-season media availability, but just to hear it over the air, I have to imagine it's hard when there's so many different injuries, not just because you're losing talent, because now in the off-season, it's harder to evaluate guys because they weren't in what the role they were supposed to play in the first place. Are there benefits to it? I think there are clear detriments to it, but how do you find that ratio? How difficult is that during this off season when you are evaluating these different positions? Yeah, no, and, and it's a great question. And I do think that's why you have to just sit and watch carefully. You know, it, I think it works two ways, right? Is when you play with a superstar, especially, you know, a guy like for me, the guys always, I think of a guy like Nash or Kobe McGrady who played for their teammates, guys get a lot more open shots, you know, and, and as you know, if you want to go back over the last few years, and this happens always, a lot of guys get paid, uh, you know, because they were playing with a superstar and then they get there and they, and they aren't able to play at the same level simply because they don't get the same quality shots. Well, it works the other way, too. You know, sometimes you can be uh, be a good player uh, and yet maybe playing on a team where shot creation is an issue and uh, your numbers aren't nearly as good as, as they would be. So... I think that the other part is obviously is the way guys practice. And, uh, you know, I'll use JT Thor for an example. You know, he's a terrific practice player. And if you watch him is whether he's working with Norm Richardson on his individual offense or Bruce Kreitzer on his shooting or we're watching film, he's on it. You know, he uses every opportunity to grow. And it really shows in the way that he plays when he's on the court. Now, LaMelo Ball m- missing so much time, only playing 36 games, you know, somewhat in the same line of thinking, how can you evaluate his year? I know you talked about how you feel like defensively he improved quite a bit. What are some of the other things you think that he's really grown from despite missing so much time this season? Well, I, I also think that the, you know, his pick and roll game, you know, which is a, a big piece, um, you know, so much of the, these games that are coming up now, the playoff playoff game is, last four, four and a half minutes, five minutes of the game, and what you can do at both ends of the floor to put pressure on the defense and get great shots. And it really comes down to, in these games, it comes down to pick and rolls and isos. And he, Terry, and Gordon all have, uh, in their careers, been very efficient uh, pick and roll players. It's something that actually both Mark and Nick have become much, much better screeners, uh, which is a big part of what we need at that center position. 
and it's something that this summer will be a, a big emphasis for everybody. Yeah, you'll be happy to know I was talking with Kai Jones. He was talking a lot about screen angles. Wouldn't stop talking about screen angles. The other day when I was interviewing him, he said that was a lot because of what you guys have talked about. Clearly, that is making an impression. And when you discuss just the type of game that LaMelo can have with those guys, I imagine that's a big part of the future. Also, PJ playing in such a different type of role this season. You saw a lot. I know last year they experimented with his ball handling. This year he had to lean on that quite a bit. You're drawing up sets for P.J. to score so many times he scored early on. How much do you feel like P.J.'s game has grown just as far as somebody that can also be effective with the basketball in his hands? Oh, no, and, and he, too, he's high IQ. You know, things come naturally to him. He sees things on the floor at both ends. And he's, you know, he's got a really good skill set. Obviously the range shooting piece, but... Like you're saying, he can play up the second and third dribble. Not a lot of guys his size can do that. And his decision-making, you know, somebody's open, he gives them the ball. He knows how to play without the ball. And I really felt, uh, especially with that younger group, I really liked the way he took the onus to help organize them defensively when he was out there. So uh, that, and, and, you know, until he got hurt at the end, he had incredible durability. You know, he had missed one game, which was, a personal thing, um, but uh, played through small hurts all year, and, and, and that's a big part of this too. Now, you talked also when you were up at the podium about a few guys and their competitiveness level. You talked about how LaMelo was one of the few that would text you at around midnight, 1230 after losses, trying to figure out what they could do better or taking responsibility. Can you speak to more of LaMelo's competitiveness as well as just the overall team morale? Because it doesn't seem like this was a team that quit at all, despite, you know, closer to the end of the season, obviously not having a shot to get to the play in or the playoff. Oh, no, and, and that was uh, that's one of the things that I do feel good about. That's not, uh, you know, there's a there's a great book. This is an older book. It's called Trade Secrets of the New England Patriots. And one of Bill Belichick's quotes is, if you want a physical, intelligent, hard playing NFL football team, it has a lot more to do with who you trade for, who you sign in free agency and, and, and who you draft. than it does how I coach them. And the reality it's like in any business. Your culture is determined by who's in it, by the people working in that place. Then teams are no different. And I thought our guys showed a lot of character this year where they could have quit, could have mailed it in. And, you know, look, we played, you know, some of our best basketball, obviously, after the All-Star break, you know. Uh, And I would say, again, the, the, you know, that's where the Mark Williams, Nick Richards stuff, you know, defensively really made a big difference. Well, how much, too, because you look at that post-All-Star break, the numbers, the defensive rating was the best in the NBA going into that OKC game. The transition defense, which has been a problem statistically for this team for, you know, for quite a few seasons in a row. It it feels like as far as a team goes, as far as a stat goes, that's something that counts on will, that counts on also execution that you can take going into the offseason. Just how much did that give you a sense of, I don't want to say comfort, I know coaches always want to get better, but that what you were preaching was sticking because it did seem like that as the season was going on, clearly in a year where you didn't set out what you wanted to accomplish at the beginning of the season. Right. No, I felt good about that. And um, and the other part of that, the transition part and then the defending the ball, mm-hmm. you know, which now all these teams, everybody, I mean, we do it too. We're five out a lot. You're four out, one in a lot. And uh, you've got, you can't get crushed off the first dribble. 
You know, like there's so much space right now for everybody to play in that no matter what, and if you have technique and you try hard, you're going to have a chance against most guys. And early in the year, we really got hurt with that. And that was the other aspect that, that did did improve and it did help our defense. Yeah, last thing before I get you out of here, just you mentioned so much and, and you've given so much praise to JT Thor. Dennis Smith Jr. was awesome this year defensively, kind of a surprise pickup for the Hornets, or at least a late pickup at the end of last offseason. Who are some of the other players that stick out to you as far as, okay, that was a huge growth from what they were when I first saw them taking over this job to where they are now as we speak today? Yeah, and, and I'll say, I'll echo what you said. Dennis was, uh, really had, it took a big step, you know, this year, and he's, now, he's an elite defender. Yeah. There, there aren't many guys in this league that can guard primary scorers uh, and make it hard on them. He can. Plus, he's also he's an A1 competitor. You never have to worry about his effort. Um, you know, I mean, there are other guys. I would say Bryce, I think, was a big, big surprise, very pleasant surprise. Um, you know, in college, by the numbers, uh, you know, he didn't shoot the ball well from three, and yet Mitch had said right away, and it, and it played out as he's going to be a good shooter, and he is. And I thought he, now he too, he has a good approach. Uh, he works every day. He's coachable. He understands things uh, very easily. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there were a lot of guys that were solid. You know, I, I would say those, you know, for the younger guys, Oh, you know, Nick obviously took a big step mm-hmm. this year, you know, and, and, and I thought I also think that he handled, you know, he started the year as the backup. He had some really, really good games. Um, and then he got hurt. And Mark played so well and he came back. And so we were having a hard time finding him. And he just stayed with it, you know. And then uh, after we made the trade, again, those two guys pairing at center were very good. That's Steve Clifford here at the Spectrum Center, ending us through the uh, media uh, availability. We appreciate his time. Steve, thank you so much, and enjoy the offseason. Thank you. Once again, big thanks to Steve Clifford for joining us, talking with me a little bit earlier, reflecting on the season, some of the guys that improved the most. If you missed it, We'll talk about it a little bit more later on in the show, but also you can catch that interview on our website, WFNZ.com. We'll switch gears, talk a little about the Carolina Panthers. Coming up next, it's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7, WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are back. This is 
the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Send us your thoughts on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Just let it all out. Let us know what you're thinking. Hit up those socials, the Wesson Walker Twitter, WFNZ Twitter, WFNZ Instagram, man. We got all the treats on there. And follow Walker on Twitter, Walker Mail. I guess, yeah. That's- and West Got Range. <laughs> Hit me up as well on Twitter and Instagram. And we'll throw uh, Fitty some love too. HTB underscore Josh, I believe, on Twitter and Instagram. So we'll just get them all out the way. Get everybody up. All right. So uh, when we look at this draft, and we talked about uh, in previous segments how uh, Bryce Young, we played the soundbite that Bryce Young is the quarterback uh, from Jordan Schultz. Then we talked about uh, how PFF in their most recent mock draft now has Anthony Richardson as the top uh, overall pick for the Panthers. And so when you start to look at the scenarios that are that are all playing out, it seems like every day, every week, there's a different analyst coming and seeing what the Panthers are doing. But when we look at these prospects, and you want to rank them from safe to most, um, you know, as far as just a guy that would be a home run if you get him, we'll, we'll put it nicely that way. If, if uh, it was safe to dangerous, I'd almost want the dangerous right. QB. <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, give me give me the dangerous QB. Ah, uh, so you'd probably go Bryce Young, <laughs> then C.J. Stroud, then Anthony Richardson, uh, then maybe Will Levis. But then you know, because Hendon Hooker has been getting some first round love, I'd probably put Hendon Hooker at number three uh, when you talk about as far as boom the bus or safe to dangerous. If mm-hmm. you want to put it like that with my movie voice, okay, but. But should the Panthers, when you get a chance to get the number one pick, we know that these are not scenarios that come around uh, all that often. The last time the Panthers had the number one pick, they took Cam Newton. And a guy that I don't think that people necessarily classified as safe at all. No. I think Cam probably threaded the needle between safe and dangerous. So then when we go <laughs> and look at it, should the Panthers want to make a safe selection or should they want to make a pick that is dangerous? I think... I Which method brings the most success, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think the top two guys in Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are not so safe to where they don't have that dangerous quality. I mean, right? Like, Bryce Young, bottom line, the guy could be the best quarterback in this class, the guy that won the Heisman, the guy that had all of the success, that can thrive in chaos, that can move out of the pocket, that attacks the middle of the field. I want Bryce Young. And if you go with C.J. Stroud... If you look at him, yeah, the accuracy is there. We don't love him because he didn't run as much. But, I mean, if he was running as much, I feel like you'd almost flip it on him and say, well, I want him to stay in the pocket more. Mm -hmm. I I think both of those QBs can very much so be a number one overall pick worthy type of quarterback. I I don't view those guys as too safe to where I'm not hitting at the very height of what they could be. Anthony Richardson, he's scary a little bit. But Anthony Richardson possesses a lot of nice skills. If, if Carolina was selecting, and if, if let's say they traded up to number three to go get Anthony Richardson, cool. If you're going to ask me safe versus the highest ceiling of these QBs, which is often how we frame a lot of these questions regardless of whatever sport you're talking about, I at least want a little safety, right? Like I at least want to have some kind of insurance on the floor if I miss. If this guy's ceiling does not absolutely hit, the floor is still going to be pretty good. 
And I think that's true with Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I think the floor right now with Anthony Richardson is absolutely lower than those two guys, and I still think you can have a very high ceiling with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. So to me, that's why I'm putting those two guys up there above Anthony Richardson as far as who the Panthers should take and them taking that number one overall pick, trading up to go get that guy that can thread the needle, as you suggested. I think that uh, when you look at the last 10 years and you want to talk about safe to dangerous and, and, and who made those types of selections, I think just last year we saw a dangerous pick uh, by the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you ask me, because this was not a guy who was coming in uh, deemed as you could count on him as soon as he lined up uh, because it was between him and Aiden Hutchinson, and this was not a player who, when you looked at him, Trayvon Walker, you were like, okay, we can pencil this guy in for nine, ten sacks like you could Aiden Hutchinson. They took a gamble on the athletic prowess of Walker yeah. because he was just outstanding there. Trevor Lawrence was the safe pick, uh, but he was also, you know, a generational prospect. It was, the, it was an easy pick, right? Yeah, Joe Burrow, same type of deal. Now, 2019 with Kyler Murray, I think he was a bit of a dangerous pick because he had those size questions, but he was uber athletic. But you also look into that draft. Now, Josh Allen down there at seventh, uh, a lot of people thought that he was the dangerous pick. Uh, but if you look back at it now, I bet Arizona maybe wishes they would have taken uh, Josh Allen. Well, Josh Allen in that draft was the, was the edge rusher. So different Josh Allen. Josh Allen oh, would have been in the draft when wow. you're talking I'm about Baker right Mayfield. This. I'm not even. I'm you're tripping. good. Okay. <laughs> you're good. My bad. <laughs> but no, no, no. Uh, but Daniel Jones, though, at six now, he was definitely a dangerous prospect. Oh, I'm yeah. Still to this day, don't know why. <laughs> Uh, he was dangerous uh, extension. Yeah, I don't know that why he was the sixth pick, but he he's gotten better as it's gone on. And then just when you look at some of the other picks, now Baker Mayfield was a pick I think as well that people were kind of iffy on. So and it didn't end up paying dividends. But then you go Miles Garrett, Jared Goff, uh, Jameis Winston, Jadavian Connie, Eric Fish. I think if you pick one guy out of that and you want to go dangerous and as far as what the potential is there, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. There was a lot of debate there as far as if Marcus Mariota was the safer guy to go with. We know Jameis threw a lot of picks uh, in that second season at FSU, but um, the Bucks ended up going with Jameis and it didn't work out there as well. So as far as what it's I better think, than Marcus though, right? Like either yes. way, we're, we're probably arguing about. But you know, one of them really matter. turned out to be what you want. Well, yeah, go ahead. But no, I was just gonna say I think that man, it's so hard because it's not my job. This, as far as being on the line because in this draft if you swing for the fences you're talking about Anthony Richardson but I think in this case with the Panthers what's at the top what they should do uh, I think they should want to make the safe selection because I still think you're getting the safe and I think you are getting uh, the difference maker in Bryce Young so he's a little bit of both Well, and, and safe carries this negative connotation that he's not going to just be this boom project I mean Joe Burrow was safe but it doesn't mean that he had some low ceiling, right? I mean, Joe Burrow had an ability to be one of the best QBs in all of the NFL, and that's exactly what happened as soon as he was drafted. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence still has that potential. Now, it hadn't happened yet, but you have to put into effect the Urban Meyer year, where it was an absolute disaster. His first year coaching in the NFL, the guy couldn't last to year two. It was so disastrous from year one. And here's So Sam Monson is the guy that put Anthony Richardson up here as number one as the PFF mock draft, the latest one. Here's what he writes about Carolina selecting Anthony Richardson. Here's the first sentence in that evaluation. I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback prospect in this draft. But if I'm Carolina, I've already traded up from number nine overall to make this move. I need a huge payoff. Okay, to me, I would say it's a huge payoff 
if you get the right guy in Bryce Young. And he just said he thinks he's the best quarterback prospect. Let's go down to number two, where he has Bryce Young going to the Houston Texans. And this is what he says. This is a jackpot scenario for Houston. With the best prospect in the draft, slipping to the pick, they wouldn't have owned if they had lost a meaningless late-season game. But the first thing is there. This is a jackpot jackpot scenario. scenario, Okay, so why is it not a jackpot scenario for Carolina to go ahead and pick the guy you think would be a jackpot scenario if he falls to number two? Because you're trying to make things interesting. And that's cool. Like, I get it, man. I'm in the content creating business as well. Go ahead and put Anthony Richardson up there number one on April 10th a few weeks before we actually get to the NFL draft. It's all good. There's a little bit of legs to this to where it's not absolutely crazy for you to put him number one. But here you are saying jackpot scenario if yeah. he falls. I mean, Bryce Young, if you, if you view him as the best quarterback prospect in the class, there's a reason for that. Yeah. The ceiling is there as well. That's where people might get it twisted, sure. Richardson, bionic QB, okay? The body's crazy. The workout's nuts. The combine was absolutely ridiculous. It was historic. There's no doubt about it. But also, Bryce Young gave you a Heisman. He got you a championship. He was working with less skill set than C.J. Stroud did, at least in this last one, right? And even Anthony Richardson, by the way, the offensive line was not bad. I mean, the Florida skill set, the, the wide receivers, they were really bad. And that's something that I do want to benefit. And I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But it's not like the offensive line was bad with Florida. They've got a guy that we just talked about Carolina could select at 39 overall. And Osiris Torrance, the guard. So it's not like you don't have any excuses for, you know, Anthony Richardson. Um, you know, or It's not like you are, are without any excuse. That's the point. So I just the, the wording here is interesting to me. Bryce Young, if he's the best QB prospect, why are we not taking him number one? Now, when you look at the rest of what he says, he says he talks about his elite athleticism, the rushing threat, and he says he actually works through progressions and read defense as well. He just can't rely reliably connect with his target. He said, if my coach and staff thinks that's fixable, Richardson is the biggest potential home run going to our topic as a whole. But I will ask you, though, if Anthony Richardson can be an adequate passer, would that make you pick him over the other two? Like, if you had a crystal ball as a GM and you knew, like you had when we talked about receivers, your crystal ball that you had. Yep. And and you knew he could be an adequate passer, would you take him? Well, adequate is in top I'm just saying, if he was a guy that was capable enough of moving the chains for you, throwing the ball, if he could be a 50, let's, let's say 58% passer, and, you know, like I said, he's not going to put the ball in danger that often. Like, if you're, if you're telling me he can be Lamar Jackson, I'll take that number one. If you're telling me right now he can be Lamar Jackson to where the rushing ability is nuts and he can be an average passer, at least in the league, and even Lamar Jackson, there's differing opinions on him. I'll let everybody else debate that. But if you're telling me I can get Lamar Jackson with Anthony Richardson and my crystal ball tells me that, fine. I'll take Lamar Jackson, number one. Like, I think that's a, a, a risk. You don't lose that, right? You don't lose that number one overall selection by getting what you do in Lamar Jackson at the number one pick. But I do think Bryce Young is going to be a better thrower of the football right. than Anthony Richardson is. And so the athleticism has to outweigh that with Bryce Young also not exactly being immobile. I mean, Bryce Young can run, too. I, I have no problem with him turning it loose and running for that first down in a third and long scenario, man coverage, everybody's paying attention to their receiver, and there's some green grass for Bryce Young to pick up. Cool, go get it because you can. He's got that athleticism as well, and so does C.J. Stroud. So 
I, if, if you were to guess right now, I'm going to take the best thrower, also with a, a little bit of athletic ability, rather than the crazy athlete who isn't as good as a thrower as those other guys right now. So your biggest fear is that he's going to be a poor passer in the NFL. Or just not as good as Bryce Young. Yeah. I mean, not as good as – and they're a, a pretty significant gap. Because that's, that's the thing I'm thinking. Like, if, if you could bring him in and he could be a decent, adequate type of passer with everything else he brings to the table, I think that would make it very hard to pass him up. Well, and that's, that's what he's saying. That, what might be, uh, that might be what Carolina's thinking that they can get from him. It, it, it might be that kind of philosophy where can we turn him into an average passer? Let's just say top 16 guy in the league. And, all, and obviously the rushing ability is right there with Kyler Murray, but even more so Lamar Jackson. They might think that's good enough to take him number one overall because of the coaching staff they have in place. I, I just think as far as throwing the football, man, Bryce Young, you know, Sam Monson talks about the anticipation. We've seen a lot of people say he is the best decision maker when it comes to processing. We've seen him throw with pressure in his face as well. That's why I like Bryce Young so much, and that's why if I'm the GM – I can't imagine that I get knocked off of that stance as the draft approaches. I feel pretty comfortable with that here on April 10th, and I feel comfortable with that at the end of the month, too. All right, so have the Panthers earned the fans' trust, though, uh, after this offseason, or will the number one pick affect that the most? I think they've earned the trust so far. They've made a lot of good decisions in a row, right? right? I mean, and, and if you want to hold what they did the last couple of offseasons against them, that's totally fair. The one mainstay is the owner and David Tepper. But I do think... You got rid of Matt Rule. You hired someone with NFL experience like Frank Reich, who has been a part of good decision-making organizations except for the QB spot. But, you know, that's kind of Frank Reich, too. Mm -hmm. He's the one that vouched for Carson Wentz. He vouched for some of these other QBs that just didn't work out long-term for the Colts organization. And so you take that away from him. Scott Fitter is the head decision-maker now. And they got all of these coaching decisions, right? Or they got all these coaching hires that you love, Ajero Avero, even Deuce Staley. I heard Mac and Bone talking about how they think that's a top five acquisition. And even because of his recruiting of some of these players, maybe a Miles Sanders, Jamal Williams, before he eventually signed with the Saints, you've got a lot of really awesome coaching additions here. And so I, I think this offseason, it's all got to work out. I get it. But this offseason, they definitely have won me over as a decision-making franchise. And going up to number one overall, if they select Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, I'm going to feel good about it. Anthony Richardson, okay, we'll see. Like, it's, it's a lot of good, and it's, it's some scare there for me. But if they're going to take Bryce Young or, or C.J. Stroud, I feel like they have made a lot of good decisions in a row to where, you know what, I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt right now. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I don't think they've earned the fans' trust just yet. I think it's going to matter the most, obviously, when they get on the field. And I think this number one pick is going to have a lot to do with that. But I think the fans right now kind of, they're trusting with a little bit of apprehension because we see a lot of times in the offseason, uh, your team does things that you think are going to be great and you think are going to work out. And then they get out there on the field and it's a complete disaster. Uh, the first thing people will say if the Panthers get out there in the losing games, they're going to start ragging on this sure, yeah. lauded coaching staff immediately. If Adam Thielen gets out there and is not productive, they're going to automatically be like, you never should have signed a guy. You know things with fans can flip just as quick as they turn in your favor. So I will say at this juncture, until they get on the field and win some games, then I think the fans are still kind of – I think they, they like what they see so far, but I'm not sure that they trust uh, this organization just yet until they see some results. No, that's fair. I mean, everything 
trying to predict something before it actually happens and then yeah. it goes the other way, yeah, of, of course the fans are going to go completely against what the Panthers did this offseason. A lot of people are going to do the whole, I knew it, this was the worst decision ever, they shouldn't have gotten up all the way to number one overall and got rid of all the assets, and that's fine. And I, people are going to you know, say they knew it all the time. But I, I do think for majority of what's taken place this offseason – People are happy about the coaching hires. People are happy about all of the personnel additions that they made, too. Real quick, I'll ask you, too, with some of what we've been talking about when Fiddy said it in the flash about there being movement at three, what potentially could have happened if the Panthers stayed at nine. Do you think at this point if they did take Anthony Richardson, people would look at them sideways because if they had stayed at nine, the way things are looking right now and with the movement we're seeing that could potentially happen, they probably don't have a chance to get any of these guys. So would you still fault them for taking Richardson at one, all things considered? At, at number one overall or at nine? Is it, nine is it, at one, what? because I'm saying, like, okay, if, if you get movement and you end up going four quarterbacks, one through four, right? But then let's just say hypothetically they talked about teams moving up for three. Yeah. And if the Panthers had not moved up to one, somebody else probably does. You're saying what's the difference between three and one at that point, kind well, of? Well, just like, saying, and not only that, would you fault the Panthers for taking Richardson at one, being that if they stayed at nine, they would have ran the risk of not getting any of these quarterbacks? The, the only reason I would say yes a little bit, look, Anthony Richardson, very enticing with the skill set that he has. The only reason I would say they're not drafting Anthony Richardson, and it's been my logic take the whole time, it's that I think you can get him at three. I do. And so I think Bryce Young, I think C.J. Stroud are going to be the top two QBs off of the board. And so if you can get him at three, that means you don't have to give up nearly as much to move up to three, which means you hold on to a wide receiver that helps like a D.J. Moore. Maybe you hold on to a second-round pick, whatever. But you clearly aren't giving up as much to go up to three as you do number one, right? And if I think you can get AR at number three, that's the only reason I would say I'm still going to look at them a little sideways for that decision that they would hypothetically make. All right. Well, someone we don't look at sideways, or we probably do. No, uh, we do. But if it's lovingly so. Yeah, let's get the second <laughs> fitty flash of the day. All right, guys. We'll go. We'll, we'll stick on the NBA right here. Some news coming out that Rudy Gobert has been suspended for tomorrow's play-in tournament game against the Lakers following his actions yesterday, but that's not what I want to talk to you about. We've long <laughs> talked about how the NBA regular season has been devalued, and that came to fruition on Friday when the Mavs actively tanked with a playoff yep. spot on the line. What do you guys make of that situation, which is not a good le uh, not a good look for Adam Silver's league? Absolutely trash uh, all the way. I mean, if we could go to the foul line, we would uh, with this short amount of time. But, <laughs> but it's just trash, man, and it's ridiculous. Uh, it just adds on to the low management and all of the other things that are kind of hampering the perception of the NBA uh, at this point. Don't like it one bit. That is the biggest stretch of decisions, the, the biggest joke as far as a stretch of decision goes this entire NBA season. The fact that you give up what you did to go get Kyrie Irving on one-year deal, by the way. And so now you're left with, do we bring back the guy that did not help us reach the play-in tournament, or do we let him go and accumulate all the sunk cost of getting rid of what we did and not having anything to show for it? And now you got a mad superstar. And we're not just talking about all-NBA guy. We're talking about MVP award contender every single season who's under 25 years old. It is gross what has happened with that <laughs> Dallas Mavericks. So, like, can you imagine things going worse with any NBA franchise over the last half season? It's crazy what happened. They decided to tank. And honestly, 
it might be the right move, but it doesn't make it any less egregious what happened after they made that trade for Kyrie Irving. Yeah, man, there's no excuse for that, man. And so, I mean, Mark Cuban, a guy that I kind of thought was one of the better owners in the NBA, questionable decisions down the stretch of this season. And they're smirking. Yep, but when we return, we're going to go back to the Masters this weekend, talk about that. John Rahm is your winner. How do we feel about that and other golf topics surrounding this weekend? This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The music goes away, as sad as it is. I love it. It is the, my favorite nap of the year, by far, on Sunday, at the very beginning of Master <laughs> Sunday, taking a nap on the front nine, getting through like a first few holes, and then on the back nine, waiting to see if it would get close. And it wasn't. Eventually, John Rahm ran away. Brooks Kepka choked. I know Fiddy was really happy about that. I imagine a lot of people were happy to see Brooks Kepka not come really even close to winning the Masters that John Rahm did. And uh, it was awesome to see. I was one of those fans as well. Willie, is that a good take by me? Best nap of the year is the nap on Masters Sunday on the front nine. I mean, I always love watching the Masters or napping with uh-huh. the Masters. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I also feel like whenever you have that uh, music, I feel like it's almost required that you have to whisper over it. Like you can't, you have to speak kind of in like a very dull roar when that music is played. Like I feel like you have to start saying, let's go to 14 <laughs> or let's go to 12. Fiddy's tried his Jim Nance impression a couple times. He's tried it a little bit. I don't know if I can do it. Plus we have, we have some a weird background noise as well. So I don't know if that would overtake the, the, some of the volume that the, I have. The, the Jim Nance, the definitive Jim Nance is always like whenever he's narrating, but it's like easy careful <laughs> did you like his cw joke that he had that over was weekend? that was funny did you uh, like that his interpreting of uh of the spanish language as well saying vamos uh, a couple different times there you go. trying to interpret john rom was also very mm-hmm. uh multifaceted multicultural from nancy uh jim nance is no play-by-play voice like willie p is who got, does cover charlotte fc and also he's been covering the charlotte hornets as the season does come to an end let's get some of the comments here before we move on to charlotte fc willie you oh, were you in didn't there even ask me about the masters did you want to wa- talk about the Masters? Hey, man. We can talk about Masters. We got Willie P for like seven <laughs> minutes. I wanted to make sure we got his takes. No, nah, ain't no big deal, man. I, I I did turn back and forth though through the weekend, and I did turn back at the end and see who won. Are you a pimento cheese or a egg salad guy? That's neither. My big, neither. Yeah, I don't want to eat. Wes, I have to have either. I'm not eating. You can't interrupt and then say it's no big deal, though. 
Like you gotta you gotta come with some master's takes if you're gonna interrupt. So what are your master's takes? What are your master's takes from this past weekend? Uh, John Ron won by a That's right. considerable margin. That's correct. And uh, I was surprised by that because it always seems like every year people come in with their favorites and then it feels like some guy out of nowhere uh, wins it. But the thing I will say was I was surprised how high uh, Phil Mickelson was. I mean, they said that he was the oldest runner-up in Masters history. I was like, man, I said Phil Mickelson still out there balling and had a chance to win. I was like, what if he would have won? I was like, man, Phil Mickelson is just, you know, he won't go He's, away. He, he won't. 30 years from when he had a top 10 finish in what, like 1995, yeah. something like that. And then 30 years later, here he is basically also getting you a top three finish in what he was able to do. All right, now we'll move on to Willie P. Willie, LaMelo Sir. Ball was speaking. Yes, 100%. Uh, LaMelo Ball was just speaking to everybody, postseason media availability. What did you make of his comments about the future that he's going to have with this team, or maybe not, I guess? Yeah, and I think you have to understand the context. He was asked by, I believe it was Scott Fowler, about what his future beholds. And I you know, I even asked him a little bit myself, kind of, you know, where, where his timetable is from his recovery. He said he doesn't really have a timetable, but he does feel like he's going to be back for the preseason. And then, of course, the talk about potentially having Charlotte a long-term home of his. And he says, you know, he doesn't want to go beyond anything. He says playing it by the day was the way that he said the quote. But he did say, hey, I love it here. And he said that publicly and privately in a bunch of different situations. I'm more focused on that part of it, though I do think the tenor of the, the comment is maybe different than we've seen it in the past. I'm not trying to interpret what the young man's trying to say, but I think it wouldn't be out of character or out of school to suggest that he kind of wants to make the organization feel like, hey, we now have to start building this thing in the forward trajectory as opposed to you know, waiting another year or two to actually get to the point where they want to be as a franchise and an organization. Yeah, and see, you saying that right there just kind of, man, I'm starting to uh, read the tea leaves here, all right? Because we know what type of NBA this is. We know stars do not wait long on organizations to put a winner around them. They want to be able to get into the playoffs. They want to compete for championships uh, and things of that nature. So I think him saying uh, play it by the day is telling. Uh, Again, so. I think they, they look different. The words themselves look different uh -huh. on paper then than, I, than I think the context. I think, again, LaMelo is not somebody who I would say is the most profound guy who comes off of, uh, when it comes to it. So I think from that aspect, I think he's just kind of, you know, he's not trying to, to say anything definitive on it. I just think he just wants to play basketball and he wants his team to be better next year, which I think, again, is. I think anybody feels that way. I think Terry Rozier said that earlier. He said, you know, we got to be better. And I think that's that's kind of where, where he's at and I think where the rest of the team is at. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can see that to an extent. But I think LaMelo also knows that his words carry a lot of weight. And I think he knows that whatever he says uh, is going to be speculated upon and picked apart. And so I think when you choose to say words like, well, we'll play it by the day, I think he knows how that will be received. Because I think if you really want to not have anybody on your back and not worried about it, you say, hey, you know, I love it here and I can't wait to get back here next season you know what I'm saying and just leave he, it at that I think he knows he's getting asked that question though and I think it, it's not something where I think he, he wasn't trying to, to drop a truth bomb today I don't think that yeah. was necessarily his his modus operandi today I think he just he wants to get himself back on the floor and I think he has something to prove as well because the season didn't necessarily go the way he wanted it to because of all the freak injuries that took place with him uh, with three ankle sprains and one ankle break no doubt about it Walker what do you think about that uh, with LaMelo uh, yeah I, I think 
LaMelo has talked a million times about how much he loves it here in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. He spends a lot of his off-seasons here in Charlotte. He's said that a million times. I'm with you as far as it's not like you get a long-witted answer from LaMelo anytime he answers a question. Mm -hmm. And so when, whenever he is pressed on this, it, it, it's almost like, okay, here we have all of these different answers. And he's answered a lot of those types of questions about how much he likes it here in Charlotte or whatever is involved in that category. We finally got one where we could interpret it a different way. And so it just depends on how much out of all of these answers that you've had. And I get it. The newest one, it carries a lot of weight more so than the other ones do. 100%, especially with the way the season happened. But are we going to focus way more on this last comment? Or are we going to try to encompass everything else that he said over his time here in Charlotte, how much he likes it, and then just completely forget all about that? And for me, I can't just completely forget about well, all I that. I think the other part of this, Walker, too, is that it all depends on what happens this offseason. Like, he was also asked about, and I asked him also about what having the number one pick would mean. And he said, you know, that would definitely make things and be a bit of a game changer. I think, you know, in 36 days we'll have the lottery, and I think we'll have a better idea of the trajectory of where this franchise is going to go, at least before we get to the draft and free agency. And I think that's the part of it that I feel like needs to really be answered yet, is, is what does this team look like? Steve Clifford made it sound like this is a team that they're hoping stays somewhat intact. And I think you heard both uh, – both Kelly Oubre and, and P.J. Washington and also Dennis Smith Jr., all three of them, basically talk about loving it here and wanting to be here and wanting to play for Cliff. Yeah. Dennis Smith Jr. said the same thing. So, you know, I, I think they're hoping that they can run it back with these guys given the fact that they feel like this year was robbed from the injury-wise. But I do think LaMelo wants to see some sort of investment in this team's future with another I don't want to say high-priced, but but high-level player that's brought in here, and I think that might just be a, a subtle, uh, subtle message to that fact and to that end. I did want to get to FC just for a moment before we got you out of here, too. Charlotte FC, they lose over the weekend, 3-1. to one. I mean, Willie, you're looking at some of the stats, and they had possession over 60% of the time. They still had less shots than what Salt Lake did, and they got beat by two different goals. It just, look, not the soccer expert, 60% possession compared to Salt Lake. You would imagine that that wouldn't lead to a 3-1 to one loss. What did you make of what happened over this weekend and the season thus far? Uh, ask my partner, Jessica Trauman, what she feels about the possession statistic, because uh -huh. it's a lot metric unfortunately okay. sometimes possession, enlighten me please <laughs> possession unlike in uh, in the world where it's nine tenths of the law it's not necessarily nine tenths of the game when it comes to the way that you talk about the way soccer is you know talked about it's all about where that possession comes from and what they can do a lot of that possession for Charlotte FC was honestly trying to get it out of their own half. And they did not have a lot of meaningful possession in the opposition half in this contest. And the game really was won in the first 15 minutes of the second half by Real Salt Lake. They really kind of blitzed Charlotte FC from that aspect. And they were able to make six minutes of goal action happen between the 56th minute and the 62nd minute. And after that point, Real Salt Lake didn't need to touch the ball. And that's the part of the game that I feel like Charlotte FC got those possession numbers up. But they were already down 3-1 at that point. And so... They, unfortunately, had to suffer a bit in, in the second half especially. George Marks made a couple of high-level saves in the opening half, but the defense in the midfield just aren't on the same page. And it's unfortunate when you see George Marks have the kind of half that he had and Swiderski scoring a goal as well. Uh, they just have not been able to put two halves of soccer together. And, again, despite possession metrics and numbers, that doesn't, unfortunately, tell the story of why Charlotte FC are in this current funk that they're in. Yeah, Willie, and so I would say at this point, man, prior 
progress to put on the team. It seems like it's been uh, a lot of adversity to mm -hmm. start the year, Ben. I mean, what, what are you thinking about this team as far as going forward? Do you think they can right the ship, or is this going to be a, a tough season? I, I think it's it's tough now. Uh, I think there is time to turn it around. Again, it, they, they play 34 games, so they're, and with nine teams getting in the playoffs on each side of the conference, there is time to turn it around. A win this week and the right results happening would still put them back in towards a playoff spot, which, again, it's very hard to look at those things, but uh, it's always kind of like the adage in baseball. You can't win the division in April, but you can lose it in April or get yourself out of contention in April, and I think that's the part of it right now is that it's still early, but it's looking late also from Charlotte FC's perspective. They have to figure things out, and unfortunately, it'd be one thing if we were seeing uh, results go by the wayside and we were seeing encouraging signs. The problem is a lot of the same mistakes defensively are being made and right now we're still trying to figure out where this team's best 11 is and I think we thought that the 11 that they put out there at the start of the game against Salt Lake was the best 11 we could put out there but unfortunately you're still seeing some issues and they have an opportunity at home this week Colorado's a team that is very similar to Real Salt Lake and that they're coming in off of a little bit of adversity themselves so I think the teams are evenly matched going into the week but for Charlotte FC's perspective, you know, they don't really care who the heck is on the opposite side. They just need to play better overall. That is the voice of Charlotte FC joining us here at the Spectrum Center, who is a renaissance man, also covers the Charlotte Hornets. And you can find him on Twitter, at Willie P. Style. Willie, you always bring all the style, man. We appreciate it. Thanks a ton. We're not going to get into photos or uh, photography? No, maybe? we can. We can. Look, uh, everything, everything is running behind. We have Mark Williams joining us, I believe, at some point soon. But this does come full circle because when we did the show yes. back for Media Day to start the season you took a picture of me where you said hey do something at least you gave me the warning and then i gave you this weird finger gun type action where west just took one candidly and i look like i got electrocuted sounds to me like there's a common denominator and the common denominator <laughs> is you so maybe, maybe the problem is you it, it, maybe do i have a face to invite you for awful pictures like i'm the least photogenic person ever that's exactly what fitty accused me of being too he was talking to somebody saying that walker's like the least photogenic person of all time the problem is i can't get mad at him be mad at him because because I, I agree with them, and now both of you two have done we, that and put it out. Well, I thought it can that might help there. No, no, saying? it hurts. It we, hurts. At the risk of sounding pejorative, you do have, like, resting angry face a lot I of know. times. So. I don't mean to. I don't mean to. You're good. It says, Willie's happy. Wes has a happy face. Sometimes you'll, like, do the mean mug in the pictures, like our Steve Smith picture. You look like you were ready to pop off, pop off on I've someone. Really? I have a, ba I I have a bad mm -hmm. habit of chewing on my tongue, so sometimes you'll catch me <laughs> in that. do that. You, you uh... You sometimes might catch me in that particular pose, and uh -huh. that's not good. All right, so so we're going to take – let's take a group photo at some point. It doesn't have to be today because we got a lot of things going on, and then we'll all smile, and we're all – I promise I'm going to be photogenic, and it's going to be the most popping-off picture that WFNZ has ever taken. Don't think too hard, pal. All right, thanks again, Willie. See you guys. We appreciate thanks, it. All right, up against the break, Mark Williams is going to be joining us soon. On the other side, Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. You okay? I'm okay.